Civic Radio. My dad, who did a lot of land trust organizing, which is the preservation of public land um, for public use and its wilderness. At some point I realized that my whole life is just applying what my dad did to trees to urban spaces and data. Lauren Ellen McCann, on her work in the field of open data, civic technology, and pushing for greater transparency and accountability in government. A government, I served on my school board from the age of 15 to 18. Uh, I, like a Doogie Hauser in a very boring way. <laughs> um, but it, it was very, very relational and there was a big government and there was a small me and that was what it meant to be a citizen and you voted and you registered your dog and you paid your taxes and that's what I thought being a citizen was. But I don't think that my understanding of citizenship has stopped there. I'm actually just looking up at the, on the wall of my office here for a minute because I used to have a sign that said, what is good citizenship? And I've, I've come to kind of step away from the word citizen and think more about the language of neighbors and denizens and, you know, of just straight up humans living in a society together. It is about my relationship, not unidirectionally with my government, but multidirectionally with all the other people that live around me. And that has a high place context. Um, it, it means for me, Lauren Ellen McCann, that I live in Washington, D.C., and I interact with other people who live in Washington, D.C. But I also live in a world where those place boundaries are becoming more and more ephemeral. And so my connection as a person is also to people who live in the states that surround Washington, D.C., and to the people who live in countries that surround the United States at a macro level. And I think it's very important when we are evaluating um, a notion of the public sector or the public sphere or, the, or civil society or civics, whatever this kind of amorphous term civic is, that we look at these relationships that happen outside of government what I like to call um, lowercase g governance, the community governance, as equal to our relationship and power to our government. A big part of citizenship is that part of feeling part of a group. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the things that ties to groups are things we have in common. And being a citizen really, I mean, to do that well and to do that, to be good citizen, you need to be able to connect with people who are from different backgrounds, have different points of view. There's a kind of cultural presumption in at least white communities in the United States that acknowledging difference is bad. When you acknowledge difference, you create difference, and so you can't have a common experience. And so often we skirt lines that relate to class differences, and privilege differences, and just like straight up experience differences. I identify as a woman, I have a very different experience and as a man, but no, 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 our end goal is equality and so we can't talk about difference. So when we think about what it means to be a good citizen, we are talking about one type of citizenship and one type of community because there's nothing different because we're all the same. And I think that line of thought is so comedically toxic because it means that you can never address the reality that there's a lot of differences, that there are a lot of different experiences. Um, I think that means, um, particularly if we're going to hold as a principle that we want society to function fairly for everyone, for as many people as possible. We have to start with difference, and we have to start 
by making decisions that might prioritize the needs of others um, before the needs of others. And I think that in terms of collaboration, that's the amazing opportunity to use deliberative processes so everybody feels bought in to the decisions made about difference. So like in a, you know, in the United States, we have a lot of issues with the decision of affirmative action, which would enable some uh, minority groups to have access to college education um, prioritized above others. Often that's a point of consternation, particularly for white folks who like me come from a different wealth background. Um, but I, I often think that there's a translation problem here where we didn't have a discussion about all the forms of difference. And so if we're treating everything as equal, you're like, well, I'm poor too, why am I not getting prioritized? If we're having a conversation about the racial history of America and the opportunity to look at things with an equitable lens, I think that um, the kind of like neighbors or fellow citizens here might be able to have a conversation in which there's a revelation about a need and about the fact that this is not a one-to-one -one exchange of power and privilege. So. That, you know, I, I think that these conversations are really, really hard to have at this huge macro level of the federal government because we do end up in these, the abstractions like I'm talking about here. Uh, and this is also why working and thinking about citizenship on the local level is both super tantalizing and just rewarding as all hell because you can get concrete because we're not talking about systematic affirmative action. We're probably talking about literally where to place a community center. So as well as sort of defining what being a citizen means, what we're trying to do is trying to get a sense of, you know, the place and time we are right now. And this word is being used a lot and increasingly by various different people doing various different things. Can you put the moment we're in in terms of sort of civic work into a into a historical context and maybe define where we're up to today and where you see this going whether we're at the beginning of something or the end of something or or whether maybe there's there's actually a lot of stuff which is consistent throughout time where are we with civic technology today we're at a choice point the idea of civic technology and civic innovation is an outgrowth of movements that started in the 90s and the 2000s uh, so fairly recently as far as history goes to look hyper-specifically at the use of government technology and digital tools. So we're coming out of the dot-com boom in the 90s, and we're looking at this increasing number of, I will say, American citizens, because we're in an American context, but this is not just an American experience. This, some of the numbers I'll reference are going to be coming from the United States. We're looking at increasing numbers of, of at least in the United States, American citizens, going online trying to find government information. There's a study from the um, Pew Trust that notes, I believe in the mid-2000s, that over 40% of Americans identify using the internet to get government services. So in, in parallel to this growing need, there rises a number of professional fields that begin using buzzwords like Gov 2.0 and eGov, and eventually OpenGov. And a lot of these were billed as advocacy or people's movements. Um, I know working for an open gov organization, we were very, very liberal with this language and with the power of accountability. But without actual grounding in people's movements or in widespread advocacy. And what becomes very fascinating is, is around the turn of 2009, we start seeing this, this advocacy uh, appear. And it, it was 
present before 2009, right? There's nothing, matter cannot be created nor destroyed. These things are existed beforehand. Communities that of primarily developers who had been working within different municipalities and different areas start being more obvious to the rest of us working on these issues. Uh, and the fact that they've been organizing meetup groups starts being more obvious. We developed this notion of civic hacking, which are these technologists using their tech skills from the outside to help government agents on the inside. And as this narrative of maybe this is a people's movement starts to evolve, so too does this language of civic technology, which is now has a sense of being rooted outside of government, but has a very, very strong sense of being connected to the government. Because these civic technologists and these civic hackers are using government data, they're using open government data, they are looking at government service delivery, uh, we have the rise of organizations like Code for America, which is very explicitly focused on the relationship of these governing tools with these citizens. But we're still in this, you know, the this first definition of citizenship, which is about one's relationship to the government. And we're still looking at a pretty limited set of actors in this space. This is more about technologists. And in that same timeline, which I think matches right up to the, you know, late 2000s um, into the 2010s, we have the proliferation of code academies and code building skills. And then suddenly everyone is learning how to code and is, is seeing this as a source of power because there are not just apps and tools that you can build, but there's also this data that you can unlock. And you have this new way of accessing your power as a citizen by engaging with this stuff. And that's where, where we are today. That's the road that takes us into where we're at this boiling point. The people who are coding do not necessarily look just like the people who were coding yesterday, but just to say it's now more than just white middle-class dudes. There are programs in schools. There are municipalities of a variety of sizes digging into this. And what I think the choice point is, that I was referring to before, is, is what we do with this energy. Are we just going to keep teaching people to code and to play with government data and to fit into this one-way relationship where we are citizens only in the context of our government and the way in which we can be citizens in the context of our government is to build government tools? Or are we actually going to pull this into what it means to, you know, democratically govern and look not at creating another engagement platform that no one's going to use, but to actually focus on deliberative processes to actually build collaboratively to look at technology beyond code. Um, because I think that's the thing that civic technology, as we talk about it, has eclipsed. I define civic technology as any uh, tool, approach, process, solution, you name it, that is created with public good in mind. Um, and that can be to create a public good or to support something that's in the public interest that is uh, potentially enormous. But the way in which we talk about it in 2015 is still very, very small. It's still about software and APIs and hardware. Um, and I can say those three things, and that means that only three types of people are going to identify as a civic technologist as opposed to everyone. So my hope is that we use this def a broader definition of citizenship, this um, citizen-to-citizen model of self-governance in the context of, a, of communal governance, um, because society encompasses both that we start to actually look at the, the civic in civic tech and design to make democracy better and choose to build tools that are needs responsive 
and that are from the context in which they're created. Because I think that is kind of the difference between civic tech progressing and being just about Coke versus Pepsi, which is to me the world of civic technology that is just software and just in relationship to our government, and civic tech representing more of a balanced diet that can include some fruit as well as soda. But you know, the, hist- the future's unwritten. <laughs> You've answered a lot of the questions I was going to talk about, but I'm very interested in this tech community, community of developers, as a can very good at defining themselves as the people because it's a sort of a lot of the time it's an invisible group of people who can represent that they're representing for the bigger whole. But it's a tiny, even though people are more people learning to code, it's a tiny, 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 tiny proportion of the population, and. I wondered if you could talk about a little bit about if you've got any thoughts on that, but also your experience of integrating this group of people with everybody in ways which can benefit society as a whole. Because there is there is a link that needs to be made, and often that's a, it's a community which is quite hard to engage with. It's an in-group. It's a group of people who can get together and talk about GitHub and know what that means. It's a group of people who are probably on the same social media platforms uh, like Reddit as well as Twitter. And because it is a community, right, uh, it has its own social norms, it has its own conventions, the process of collaboratively working on open source, working on each other's codes, is a communal activity. The, The communal sentiment is that it can represent the interests of other people and is that it operates collaboratively because the internal mechanisms are about sharing. But what's often not obvious within that in-group, which I used to participate in, and this is also why I feel comfortable talking about it also as an outsider, is that the particular technical skills it selects for and the particular type of sharing it selects for is super specialized. And usually a usually but not exclusively a particular socioeconomic status, a particular racial background tends to be dudes. There is not an awareness of the kind of balance of that lack of inclusivity because they are not being exclusive. So when civic technologists try to be representational and try to work with governments on behalf of everyone, they really do think that they, because of the ethos and principles, they're really, it's like so genuine, so goddamn well-intentioned. I love it. The, the idea is there to be as broad and representative as possible with the ignorance of the in-group that there are experiences beyond what they can conceptualize um, because they are not a female-bodied person who works three jobs and takes care of children uh, because they are not an elderly male-bodied person who is who lives in a rural area, right? And I think there's a sentiment because the civic technology space skews very young that a lot of the gaps within their community are going to be corrected for over time because they have a dominant skill set, because the ability to code is a is a path to power. Um, and either if you're old, you're going to be obsolete anyway, don't you retire? Um, and if you're young, you're going to be going through these training programs in school, and soon everyone will be able to share in this in this lexicon, and so we have to like adapt for that. And it's, it's a pretty privileged perspective that the, the dominant narrative and skills that you have is very important. It's also a very private sector perspective. Um, one of the things I, I think about a lot 
is that uh, is this obsession with trying to make government operate like a business, which is driven by the fact that the private sector traditionally had a lot of these technology jobs and advances a lot of technology. But here's the thing. The private sector, businesses, they can choose their demographics and they can choose when they serve them. So you can really cater to a group of people that are ranging in the age of 16 to 45 and know that everybody else is going to adjust over time. But if you're the government, you have to serve everybody and you have to serve them today as well as in the future. And that is the kind of um, big picture perspective that is often missing from the civic technology in-group. And it's what I call like the myth of everybody, this, this myth of, of representation that is propagated from this group. None of this is to say that we're bad people because all of us have limited perspectives based on our own experience. And so I, um, I've run a number of experiments within DC that are about just bringing people together in general. And uh, because I think we're intersectional beings and nobody identifies just as technologists and nobody identifies just as anything, really. Um, and to me, the, cross, the untapped crossroads, the untapped potential in the civic space in general is just the idea of literally bringing people together. So why don't we look for where the broadest swath of humanity is going to be? And often, but not always, those are public celebrations. And if we have to put a buzzword on it, I would civic spectacle is like the phrase I like tongue-in-cheek use. So in May of 2014, we had a civic spectacle in DC called the Funk Parade. And the Funk Parade approached me about running a hackathon. Uh, but instead, what we decided to do, if we were actually trying to integrate the local technologists who really, really, really want to build for everybody, and the quote-unquote everybody, was to create a space where a lot of everybody was going to be uh, the Funk Parade, and then throw a party. So we ended up running an um, art and technology fair of sorts called the Tech Embassy, where people were both building tools and engaging with local tools. But when you walked up to this space, the first thing you saw was a graffiti wall, and it had a prompt, technology should. And over the course of the day, the wall filled up with inputs from, well, anyone. I won't say everyone, because everyone wasn't there. But it was in a high street traffic situation, and it was in a location that was very close to the heart of this spectacle. You know, I, I, it's funny because I've, I've done a lot of thinking about the organizing tactics we did and what it means for integrating multiple different communities, technology included. And the, the real central tenant is just um, is, is twofold, and it's so simple to me. One is, one is being physically where a lot of people are going to be that are not just from the community that uh, not just from one community so physically being in the middle of the street festival and the other was um, decentralizing the organization so that you could see a lot of different people running a lot of different pieces so if I don't identify as a technologist um, I might feel more comfortable in the part of this community space that is either run by the 12-year-olds or by um, the artist or by the librarian. And so there's a number of different identity hooks or comfort hooks for people to come in and stay. And that's not going to be a practical inroad for creating all sorts of civic technology. But if we're just starting about like how do you start doing the relationship building, being very intentional about decentralizing the power and creating spaces where people can see a number of different people reflected as 
the organizers and as part of the quote-unquote in-group, the, the new in-group that we create, I think that's a great way. But it worked, right? And people responded well to it. I assume you just haven't said that directly, but I'm assuming that they did because it sounds fantastic. Did it work? Yes. Uh, we had um, over 480 people pass through in like a three and a half hour period, filled up that entire graffiti wall. A friend started a project about music history in D.C. that was seen through the eyes of your first conference, uh, concert experience. The library 3D printed the crap out of some bracelets. Thinking about sort of technology at large, um, we are often satisfied and we consider public benefit to have been made when we complete a project. And, but public benefit and social goods, I mean, their revelation takes generations, right? It takes, at a, I would say, at a minimum, five years to see the long tail of how relationships were affected, of how goods were created, of, of individual development. I do think individual development is important. But to, to see those, that impact happen, to see the whole point of civic tech realized, it takes time. And we often only give ourselves one to two years and so we often celebrate the completion of a thing as the demonstration of the civicness and not just the tech. And so I, I think to the kind of broader piece of this conversation about what it means to be a citizen and what it means to create civic tech and, and where civic tech can go, um, the real challenge that we all face, even here in DC with our silly little spectacles and also as a field writ large, is finding the patience and finding the experimental will to focus on long-term impact with as many people as possible, and therefore to focus on that relational aspect, um, the, the relation person to person that is citizenship. Civic Radio is part of the Civic Shop. You can currently come and visit us at Somerset House in central London, or you can find us online at www.civicshop.city. And subscribe to these podcasts by searching for Tech for Good TV in iTunes. Civic Radio.